Well, uh, hi, I'm Joey. I teach at Placer High School, and Craig coaches with me, Pastor Craig, and of course, he, uh, he gets the, the role of being the least intimidating coach on our staff, the smallest guy on the staff, but we love having Craig around. He's a phenomenal teacher, obviously, and if you're a great teacher, usually it translates to being a good coach, and so we're very, very blessed. The other couple confessions I have, I did not wear a belt, and I should have, and so I apologize. I will not, I will keep my, <laughs> we'll make it, uh, I want this to be a memorable sermon for other reasons than that, and, uh, and I, I always find it ironic whenever, you know, God invites me to, to have this opportunity that I always get to talk about things that I, I just feel like God is just more speaking to me, and so as, as I'm presenting this to you, this is, this is the things that I'm personally wrestling with. And so um, you get to be a part of my journey as, as God, through his Holy Spirit, presents this to you. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 4, as you guys have been in the book of John. And I'm just going to read through the first 26 verses uh, out of the book of John. And if you could, it should be up there. If not, in the, you know, the, the title of my sermon today is is the power of the gospel. And so verse one says this, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria or he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw a woman, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it was who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you find or get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place, uh, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. 
for they, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship the spirit in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything, everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. And thank you for the power of your words. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit is in and alive and in and works in and through us, Lord. And I pray, God, as we walk through these verses, Lord, even though it's not going to be verse by verse, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into the lives of everyone here today, God. We love you so much. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So before I had my first, my, my wife and I had our first child, I, I, I'm just full confessional. I was terrified of babies. Um, I had only held, this is the uh, God's honest truth, with the exception of a couple missions trips in Mexico, I had only hold, held my, my three nieces and my nephew. And so, and when I would hold them, it was, it was kind of like from a distance. And so for us to have our first child, you know, the, the thing I was the most nervous about more than anything else was the newborn baby. And so we have our, our child and it's great and, you know, all those, you know, whatever, you know, and all that stuff's happening. And so finally, about two months later, I had not had Blake, that's our daughter's name, by myself yet. I, I had only been around my wife the whole time as kind of the backup. And luckily, she just slept all the time, so it was, it was pretty easy. But finally, Megan's like, hey, I have this work conference, and um, I'm going to be gone all day. It's, it's summertime. I, can you please watch Blake for the day? And I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, God, start, I need to start praying. And, and so I'm like, yeah, of course, I, I got this. It's, you know, it's, it's our kid. I, I, I'm the dad. I need to be able to do this type of stuff. And so, so she leaves, and the first two hours are like as good as it could be. I'm like, man, she's sleeping. She is, she is not crying. She's okay that Megan's gone. I mean, this is, this is like, this is easy money. And so <clears throat> two hours go by, and then I'm sitting there watching TV, and then, and then she wakes up, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try to feed her you know, through the bottle, and, and she's not taking the bottle, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe this won't be so bad if she doesn't eat all day, and uh, <clears throat> that's, you know, that's my thought. I'm, like, trying to force feed her, and she's just, like, getting more and more angry, and then at about the third hour, she just starts crying, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, you know, okay, this is fine. She cries all the time, you know, whatever. Then another hour goes by, and no joke, she cries literally the entire time, and on top of that, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm trying to go through all the checks. I'm like, okay, I know I, she probably is hungry, but maybe, you know, maybe she's gone to the bathroom. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's check her out. So I go and I pick her up, and, I, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, and it was like the, her first major explosion <laughs> where it is out of the diaper and all over her. And at this point, I grabbed her, and it's all over my hands. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And no joke, this is guys on the truth. My dog walks up right at that moment and pukes right in front of me and I'm sitting here going what is going on and of course right when she pukes I grab Blake like this to go Lily no and then of course it just gets all over me and so I clean her up I, I, I change her I change my clothes I clean up the dog puke and then I'm like oh my goodness I've got to go pick up our principal because I was going to take Blake and we we're going to go pick up my my boss and we we're going to go down and look at this other football field to see what their field's like and so I put her in the car, and she is still, and it's not like just kind of like crying. It's like, like wailing. Yeah, it was, it was not a pretty cry. So I go there, and I drive to Rockland, and I pick him up, and I'm like, man, please fall asleep. Please fall asleep. And we drive all the way to Sacramento, and no joke, she is crying the entire time. 
We get out, and I'm, you know, at this point, I'm, I should be feeling guilty about this, but I'm feeling more guilty for Peter that he has to hear this, which is obviously the wrong attitude. And so we go, and we look at the field, and, I'm, and I kind of get her to calm down a little bit, and then we get back in the car, and sure enough, she just starts wailing again. And, you know, my heart should have been like, gosh, you know, Blake, I, I, I probably should pull over. I should probably do something. And so finally, I go to Peter. I go, Peter, because really the, the thing that I'm more concerned about is, is how he's perceiving this whole thing instead of what I should be focused on. And I'm like, Peter, I, I am so sorry that you have to do this. And Peter's like, dude, I've got three kids. He's like, this is nothing. And it was just kind of like a slap in the face at that point. I'm like, why did I get so caught up in what he thought about me as a parent than I did about the real problem at hand, which was my daughter's issues. And it's interesting because I think in our culture and, 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 and I think just in general, all of us, and, and, and when I said that I was speaking to you about something that, that I personally struggle with, we struggle with identity issues and where our identity and where we find fulfillment and where we find you know, satisfaction and power are usually on the wrong things. And that brings us to the scriptures, which we're going to be talking about. And, and as Craig would say, as the curtain was lifted up on this incredible scene, and, and I, love, I love John chapter 4 because in the first 26 verses, it essentially, you know, irons, I mean, it's like the gospel in the nutshell. I mean, you see so many different things in the first 26. I mean, you see, you see the humanity of Christ. I mean, the first six, six verses, Jesus is at this well. You know, he had been in Galilee doing all this ministry. He had faced some adversity. You know, people were comparing him to his cousin John, and they were trying to manipulate the situation. They were trying to, to, to you know, they were starting to get jealous at Jesus. And so after he had spent all this time doing all this incredible ministry, he was, he was on the move. And so he was tired and weary. And so we see the humanity of Jesus Christ. You see Christ's character in these first 26 verses. You see his divinity, his supernatural power. You see his mercy. And eventually you see him talk about the death. And so in these first 26 verses, you really see the power of the gospel. You see how Jesus can work in and through people through just these 26 verses in chapter 4. And, and you know, and what is the gospel? The gospel is, is obviously the testimonies of, of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but, but also it's, it's revealing it to the masses. And that's Jesus' heart because while it was a shorter distance to go through Samaria to where Jesus needed to get, I truly believe that Jesus had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. And... <clears throat> The first thing I have is, is that God's grace and change is for everyone. And, you know, it's funny because Jesus engages with this woman in a, concert, in a conversation. And I love how he just breaks down every single barrier when he's talking with this woman. Because, you know, as many of you have heard, you know, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. You know, they would not ever associate themselves with each other. And so right there, you know, Jesus breaks down a racial and cultural barrier. You know, the fact that she was a woman, you know, a, a Jewish man would not usually associate themselves with a single woman um, in, in that day and age. And so the fact that he was talking to a woman was also a, a radical thing for that time of age. And, you know, many of this stuff you knew. And, and the fact that this woman is there at the 12th hour says a lot about her. You know, that she was probably, not probably, she was 
a moral and social outcast. I mean, this woman was there to avoid other people. She was there to avoid other women. She was there at the hottest time of the day because she didn't want anybody else to see her. She didn't want to associate herself with other people. And so here's Jesus breaking down all these barriers, the racial barriers, the culture barriers, the gender barriers, the moral barriers, to engage with this conversation with this woman. And it just reminds us that God's grace is for everyone. And, you know, as he walks her through this, you know, as we see him breaking down um, all these barriers and doing all these different things, you know, he engages her in verse 7, and, and we see all these things. And she's kind of blown away by the fact that he's talking to her. And she's going, you know, sir, you're, you're a Jewish man, and you want to talk to me? You know, she's like, you're, you, what are you doing? And Jesus answers exactly what he's doing in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift, if you knew the free gift that I have for you, if you knew the free gift of grace that God has for everyone, no matter where you're at, in the social structure, no matter where, because even within our own uh, genders, even within our own race, even within our own, you know, lives, there, there's, there's ladders everywhere. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you're at the top of the top or the bottom of the bottom. My grace, my gift is for everyone. My grace is sufficient for all. It's for you. It's for me. It doesn't matter if you're a man or female. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are and how rich you are. It's for everyone. It's a gift. And some might even argue that the lower you are on the social structure, it's almost easier to see the grace. That's why I love working with high school kids, because they recognize when they haven't walked and, and been raised with, with knowing Jesus. You know, my wife and I, we do Young Life here in town. And when we're introducing kids to Christ for the very first time, you know, I love watching just their eyes open. And they're like, yeah, grace is real. <laughs> God's mercy is real. Sometimes when you've been raised with it, or sometimes when you live in our culture, when you have virtually all your needs met, you have, you know, you have your finances or, or at least they're not completely in the shambles or, or wherever you're at and you have all these comforts that, that our country provides, sometimes it's easy to turn away a free gift. And you think about the thing that keeps us from turning away a free gift and it's usually pride. Pride keeps us from accepting a free gift. And I see it so often in our culture, that our pride keeps us from accepting this gift. And I love uh, as he works through it and, and, and you see the power of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is living water. And I love how uh, Tim Keller explains living water. He says, he says, the living water is the Holy Spirit empowering your heart to be assured of the experiences of love, the presence, the pardon, and the friendship, and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so as he's sitting there and he's engaging this woman in this conversation, he's offering something that's just kind of, she's a little confused about, right? She says, and Jesus is saying, you know, I have living water. If you keep going back to this well, you're going to be thirsty, but I have something that's different. And, you know, being in a, in a you know, an arid climate, that would have spoke to this woman. You know, it's hot, it's, you know. And, and, and why? And our bodies are made up of like 65% of water. And so just the fact that he's using that. And, and you know, and I was thinking of uh, the times, you know, I run all the time. And, and there's times where your body's just completely dehydrated. And everybody in here has been dehydrated. And when you're completely dehydrated, there's only one thing you really want, right? And it's water. 
and it's like when you are dehydrated, I mean, it's like, it's like water is the best thing that you've ever tasted. You know, it's like sweet, you know, and, and, and Jesus is saying that, that my grace, my living water is sweet. It's something that you want to keep coming back to. You know, I think about why we don't ever buy chips at our house. Like if Doritos are in my house and I open them and I start eating those Doritos, you know, I'm not going to stop. It's like I'm going to go until the cheese is like, I, I basically go through the entire bag. And, and it, it, you know, and that is, that's God's living water, right? It's like, he's, he's a, it's sweet. It's like once you open it, once you taste it, once you have it, you'll never want to go back. And I love that he explains that the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of living water is that. And if, you know, and if you want to look at and, and really study what I think is, is kind of the crux of this whole thing and what I think is, is, is my favorite part of John chapter 4 is, is how he deals with this woman and the process and that gospel change is a process, you know, that his patience is, is, is unending. And it's funny because he, he engages her in the conversation. You know, and, and, and he goes, uh, you know, he talks about living water, and he goes, well, where's your husband? And, and, and of course, and she's like, well, I don't have a husband. You know, and, and she's kind of taken back by that, as, as I think I would have been too, uh, if I'm in her shoes. And she's like, you know, uh, let's, let's change the subject, you know. And she's like, well, you know, it, she, and she brings up something that's in that day and age was super controversial. You know, she brings up the temple, and she brings up the 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 separation between the Jews and the Samaritans because at the end of the day, she, she doesn't want to talk to Jesus about the real problem. She doesn't want to engage with him to the thing that's really wrong in her life, where her identity is. And I love just how patient he is with her as he walks her through this because, you know, she says this and he's like, you know, you're right, you know, and he addresses the temple but then he gets back to the real point with her. He goes, yeah, you're right. That's a good argument. Most Jewish men would react to what you just said right there. But I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Let's get back to the real issue. Let's get back to the real problem. You see, she, he's, he's walking with her and is patient with her. And, and I'm so thankful for that because I think about my walk with Christ. And once I found the Lord, and I think about the times that I've stumbled, and it's way more than I have the other. And I think about, you know, probably some of the biggest mistakes that I've ever made is while knowing Christ. Like some of the biggest stumbling blocks that I've had in my life is when I knew the Lord. And, you know, and regardless of those things, God's patience with us is unending. God's patience with us, uh, you know, never goes away. And you know, it's an incredible thing, and I love what Psalm 73 says. It says this. It says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, and I was, a, and I was senseless and ignorant. And this is the believer writing this. And how many of us can relate with this, with our walks with Christ? And here's the verse that I think I, I relate with the most. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will be with me in your glory. You see, when I first, uh, I was doing Young Life. I used to live in Woodland. I, I taught and coached at Pioneer High School before I was at Placer High School. And um, I was doing Young Life, and this high school girl came up to me. She says, hey, my sister's in college, 
and she wants to come and start doing Young Life. And I'm like, okay, great, bring her, bring her by, I want to meet her, all this stuff. And this lady named Megan walks in, and of course, the first thing I think to myself is, she's a good-looking lady. You know, I was a young guy myself at that point, I'm like, okay, but I didn't think much other than that, other than, okay, you know, she's not hard on the eyes, but hi, I'm Joey, go meet kids, we'll talk later. And so I get to, I get to know Megan, and, and the more I get to know Megan, I, I'm thinking to myself, this, this woman is, is just somebody I want to be around, somebody I want to hang out with, and, and I kind of developed like this little crush on Megan. So I started to, you know, try to pull on the charm, which for me is, is, is tough, and, you know, so I, I'm like getting some flirtatious vibes back. I'm like, this is awesome, man. Like, maybe she might, maybe we might have a chance, and so finally I go, hey, uh, I go, you don't have a boyfriend. She goes, yeah, I have a boyfriend. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like blown away. I'm like, well, you have a boyfriend? And I'm like, she's like, yeah. And I, I'm like, no, you don't. I, that's the first thing I said. I'm like, no, you don't. She's like, uh, yeah, I do. I'm like, no, you don't have a boyfriend. She's like, yeah, I do. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so finally, I'm like, I left disgruntled because I'm like, gosh, this girl, I have a crush on She's taken. And I was, you know, thinking to myself, okay, well, just, uh, just, just stay positive, you know, do, do whatever do whatever you want, you know, and so finally I hear through the grapevine that she breaks up with them, and then not only did she break up, but she called me to pick her up at the airport, I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is, this is like really disrespectful timing, but I don't care, I'm going for it, so I go, and I, you know, I didn't know the guy, and so I go out and pick her up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, gosh, I'm sorry, it's, it's hard, and made the right choice <laughs> and so so we're talking and and you know uh so finally I give it some time and I'm starting to once again I'm starting to amp up the charm and and so I'm like hey uh, you know can we go on a date she goes no I'm like gosh dang it but she kept me like she kept me around just said well no for now I'm like yes so it wasn't like it wasn't like creeper status where I kept persisting after this woman who like wanted nothing she like was giving me like not now but but stay around and I even went as far as to this is pretty this is what you'll do when you're like pursuing a woman right I even took a song from 51st Dates it's called Forgetful Lucy I learned how to play guitar for one song I changed the lyrics to Independent Megan and I sang her the song <laughs> right I sing her the song and at the the real song says how about a first date I mean, how about a first kiss? And I changed it to how about a first date? So I sing the song, and I say, so how about a first date? And then she goes, oh, that's very sweet, but no. <laughs> and so even there, even there, I was, I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I, I going to do to get this woman to, to finally date me, you know? And so I just stayed with it, stepped, kept the charm on, kept doing all these things. And finally, 1.30 in the morning, I'm sleeping. I have a zero-period class, and I get this phone call. I'm like, hello? She said, hey. It's me, May. I'm like, I, yeah, I know. How you, everything all right? She's like, yeah, we're together. I'm like, wait, what? She's like, I decided we're together. I'm like, and I say, are you sure? <laughs> and God's honest truth, she says, no, I'm not sure, but uh, I want to give it a try. And I'm like, oh, yes, thank you, Lord. So I try the phone, and eventually we would date for a year, and then I would propose to her, and she said yes. And we've been married now for, for almost 11 years. And, you know, that... That, well, thanks. And, you know, it, that illustration to me is exactly what, what Jesus does with us as we walk with him. You know, it's, it's organic. It's not forced upon us. It's not something that just happens overnight. It's not something that we don't fall from or stumble with. It's something that 
over time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus works in and through us. And the power of gospel change, the power of his Holy Spirit, the power of his living water, he works in and through us over time. It's an organic process. And I love the transition, you know, in this conversation that Jesus is having with this woman because, because really what he's alluding to is a positive death. And if you think about it, I mean, if you were reading this, you know, first he's talking about living water, and then out of nowhere, he says what comes across as, as like a rude, off-topic thing. You know, he's like, well, where's your husband? She's like, uh, I don't have a husband. He's like, that's right, you have five, you know, you've had five, and now the guy you live with isn't. I mean, if you were just a, sta- a standard person, you're reading that, you're like, and that's like way over the top, inappropriate, rude. And it seems like just a totally disrespectful thing to say to somebody. But it wasn't. You know, it was exactly getting to the root of the problem. You see, her identity was in men. Where she went to for water, the well she kept going to just kept leaving her broken and empty and lost. And, you know, I think about the wells that I go to, the wells that we go to, that we keep going back to time and time again. And every time, it just leaves us thirsty. And Jesus is saying, your identity needs to be in me, in the well and in the fountain that will never leave you thirsty. And, you know, I think about all the things in this, you know, it, it, there's so many things to put our identity in. You know, it could be money, it could be success, it could be men, it could be women. I mean, there, there, there's all these things that, that we in our culture put our identity in. But Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about a true soul satisfaction that, that only he can offer, that only he could present. You know, and, I, and I think about like one of my life goals as in my professional world was to win like a CIF championship. And you know, we had done all these things, to, and we had, we had been so close. I had been in the section title game four different times and had just come up short. And last year, we finally got over the hump. We finally won the CIF championship last year. And it was, it was an incredible experience. And by no means am I diminishing what an accomplishment it was and how proud I was. I, but, you know, it's like a month later, a year later now, those, those feelings are, while I'm still proud, it's like the, the well's empty again. You know, it's not really where my identity is. It's not who I am. Coach Montoya is not really who I am. Who I am is in Christ. And the well dried up again. <laughs> what we need is the true fountain. We need something that will change our, our heart and our deepest emotions. You know, something that, it, it, that goes beyond that. Where, and, and I can't, you know, it's a, it's a process. It's something that just takes time, but but the true fountain, the true living water, our true our identity needs to be in Christ, not the things of this world, which is easier said than done. And, and you know, and that's the how, but it's also important to remember the why, because you know, as Jesus is talking about in verse twenty three, you know, he's talking about his death. And, you know, she goes, you know, well, you Jews say this about the temple. You know, us Samaritans believe this. And, and Jesus, Jesus 
puts her in her place. He says, for now, for now the temple's in Jerusalem. But a time is coming. And, and in fact, every time in, in John, the book of John, every time that Jesus said, a time has come, <clears throat> he's, he's alluding to the hour. <clears throat> and the hour is his death. She says, now, at this moment, woman, it's in Jerusalem, but a time is coming where a temple won't be needed, where a priest won't be needed, where a sacrifice won't be needed because I'm going to be those things. My death is going to be the why. <clears throat> and I love on the cross, you know, in John chapter 19, verse 28, what does Jesus say? <clears throat> I thirst. I am thirsty. And, you know, you could, you could say, well, yeah, you've been on the cross, you've been You've been flogged. You've been through a whole bunch. Of course you're thirsty, but it's, it's about something that's much deeper than being thirsty. Because later on in Matthew, he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, in the book of Nahum, it, it talks about, you know, it kind of leads to um, being away from God is unquenched thirst. It's like, being in the hottest place ever. It's like, it's like the worst torment that you've ever been. And Jesus on the cross was experiencing that for us, was experiencing that for us so that we can have his living water. And it's a combination of both knowing the joy of Christ, but also the cost. It's a combination of accepting this living water and placing our identity in him and experiencing all the joy and the, and, and the benefits that comes with that, but also remembering the cost of what Jesus did on the cross for us. That his death covers us at all. That his death gets rid of all the temples, the sacrifices, the pre all those things. None of that, once he went to the cross, mattered anymore because he was that ultimate sacrifice for us. And I remember uh, my first year that I was coaching at Pioneer, it was a brand new high school. And, and so we were getting all these different kids from, from the two junior highs there, Lee and, and Douglas. And um, this kid came to us late. His name was Preston. And, and Preston was, 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 a, was an edgy kid. He, he had been in and out of the gang life in Woodland. Um, his dad was murdered in prison. His, his dad was, was a well-known um, you know, gangster uh, around the region. And he'd been murdered in pre you know, prison. And so here was Preston, just this, this edgy, hardcore, um, <clears throat> you know, to kids his age, a very intimidating dude. He's a super intense guy. And to myself, I'm like, what a perfect football player. <laughs> and uh, so <clears throat> I, I start befriending him, you know, and then I start working with Preston. And, and, and you know, and it, was a, it was a long, painful process where there was many one-on-one -on -one conversations, many bear, bear crawls, many um, accountability talks where I had to get him in line to the things that we're doing. But what I was most excited about is Preston started coming to Young Life and he brought all his friends with him. And, and you know, he would come to Young Life and just about every other week I'd have to break up a big old fight because Preston was there and I'm like, gosh, you know, this, I'm like, Preston, this is not what this is about, man. He's like, I know, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like none of that stuff matters. And Finally, I get him to go to a Young Life camp with us. We're going to a camp up in Canada called Malibu. And, and ironically, we were 
our, our group was going to travel up with the group from Auburn, the group from Placer. I, kind of an ironic twist. And so we get on the bus with all these Placer kids. And the Placer, you could just see the, the looks on their face when they walked by, like, pressing his friends. They were just like, <laughs> you know, they were just like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. And I remember we're sleeping in, like, this church in Canada because it, it was a long drive. And I'm faking like I'm asleep because I hear all these guys talking. And I'm like, gosh, this is so bad. And I could just imagine all the Placer kids just sitting there like, <laughs> just mortified and finally I had to like I was acting like I was sleeping deep down I was kind of happy but I was I, I got up guys be quiet or we're gonna go outside and start bear crawling and they got quiet real quick so anyways we go to Malibu and we have this incredible time and 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 sure enough Preston's like I want that I want that living water you know I, I want to give my life to Christ and and he did in Malibu and and you know a year later he graduates and uh, he invites me to perform the, his his wedding ceremony, and um, you know life is good. And he, he got a job. He's working his way up through Nugget Market. He was you know he's just hardworking dude. And then life happened, and he went back to the wrong well again and again. You know first you know he got a divorce, which is part of life unfortunately, and 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 then you know he became addicted to pain medication. And he was in and out of rehab. And last year on his birthday, he was finally in rehab, you know. And he calls his mom up and he goes, Mom, I just want you to know that, that I'm doing great, that God is good, that God's working in my life, that um, I can't wait to get out of here and, and, and start living life the way God has my life, that I'm supposed to live my life. And his mom was just excited, and she was, you know, like in tears talking to him. She hangs up the phone, and he goes, and he has one more relapse and overdoses. And I performed one of my first um, funerals of my life last year on, you know, a few weeks after his birthday. And, and I thought to myself, you know, he was a brute beast. You know, in his process, he kept going back to the wrong wells. But, but I, I could stand there. And in front of his friends and family, say, despite those things, God's grace is so real. And that despite the fact that we will continuously fall off the wagon, the way that God walked the woman so patiently through the process, God is going to walk with us just patiently through the process. And I could stand there in front of all his friends and family and say, you know what? He's in heaven. His hell is done. You know, the, the pains and the sufferings of this world are no more because he's in the presence of the Father. And my encouragement and my challenge to you today as, as we close is, number one, there's two things. The first one is, is, who's the Preston in your life that you are to be a witness to, that you are to bring to the feet of Christ, that you are to bring this living water who are the Prestons in your world? And secondly, and kind of the main thing that we've hit on today is, where is your identity? Is your identity placed on the things of this world, your children, your success, you know, whatever? I mean, there's just, there's an endless amount of things that all of us wrestle with. 
Does the well that you continuously drink from leave you thirsty? Or is your true identity in the living water and the God of this universe, Jesus Christ? Wrestle through those things today and throughout the week. Think about those things. And I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. And thank you, God, for this very, very <laughs> difficult process that we all go through, Lord, with identity. Thank you for your patience and your grace as we are all brute beasts throughout our walk that we fall off the wagon time and time again. Continue to work in our lives that you would be number one in our life, Lord. And, and Lord, continue to bring the presence in our, into our lives that we can witness to that we can bring to the feet of you, Lord, to find you for the first time, Lord Jesus. We love you so much and thank you for everything that you've done. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen.